Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd Millinitial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me. And you have been listening to the harmonica sounds, or the harp sounds, I guess is another way of putting it, by my good friend Bill Hall, who happens to be sitting a good social distance away from me on the Shabro stage behind the Frederick Coffee Company on a delightful, slightly warm morning here in almost August 2020. It's going to get up to about 97 or 98 this afternoon, but right now it's a nice, comfortable 89 with a little bit of humidity. Bill Hall, how are you, sir? I'm fine, Todd Walker, and it's nice to meet you today on this delightful day. That's right. It actually is a delightful day. It is, and you and I, I don't think we've seen each other in person for probably four or five months, maybe even a little bit longer. Probably. Yeah. Have you been surviving the whole COVID coronavirus thing fairly well? Yes, I've learned to meet new neighbors in the <laughs> around the neighborhood. I walk every day, and uh, there are people that live there that I never knew existed. Yeah. So it's um, it's actually been uh, quite a an entertaining and um, a learning experience um, doing this. Well, I think it's really been helpful for a lot of youth who were stuck to the television or the computer or their phone all the time because in our neighborhood, we see kids we've never seen before riding bikes, riding skateboards, just out and about walking. And I think what it is is there's only so much time we can do one thing, and probably they've just gotten a little bit bored with all the online things, and they've decided, well, there really is an outdoors. Yes, I believe that that's true. Yeah. Um, I, I see new babies and things like this and, and mamas with strollers and, <laughs> and so on. Well, you're known as the harmonica player in the greater Frederick County area for open mics, showcases, live performances at the Weinberg Center of all places. Most of us would love to play at the Weinberg. And here's my good friend Bill Hall, who's played there as part of an ensemble and did a fantastic job. How did you get involved with music initially? Oh, I've always uh, um, been fond of participating in music. We, we grew up with a piano in the house and a family that sang. Mm -hmm. And um, so basically that's, um, that's how it all started. I uh, was active in, in church groups and things like this. And... Um, and choirs um, uh, of various uh, various uh, uh, types. But beginning when I was probably 10, 11, somewhere in there. Mostly as a vocalist or as an instrument player? That was uh, mostly as a vocalist. The, the instrument came much later. Now, who played the piano in your home? Uh, my mom. She didn't instill in any of you or... I don't want to say require you, but to in, encourage you to learn to play the piano. Any of the kids? Oh, sure, um, but uh, didn't uh, didn't sit well. Usually doesn't with guys. <laughs> well, it didn't, and um, uh, so uh, the I always fancied uh, people who could play uh, uh, stringed instruments, guitars, and things like that. That wasn't for me either. Um, I tried. Um, I, I began to learn to play um, uh, banjo and uh, <clears throat> got my fingers all tangled up in those little uh, little uh, 
um, uh, things you have to put on the end of them to make it work. <laughs> and, uh, and so they get stuck in the strings. And I, I said, gee, I, this isn't so good. And I, I happened to be working down in Bethesda at the time. And one of the guys um, had a harmonica in his case. I said, let me see that thing. And uh, picked it up, and and that's all she wrote. Yeah. <laughs> As they say, all she wrote, or the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. So what were some of your hobbies growing up? Were, were you a sports guy or a book reader? What were some of your hobbies? Um, I liked horse. I liked to work. I always had a job. Even when I was a little kid, I had a job. Uh, when I was a... Um, uh, when I was a in oh, fifth or sixth grade, I would go over toward the hardware store around Christmas time and kind of hang. I hung around there a little bit, and I ended up uh, being hired to to put toys together. Oh! So I'd do that. Um, uh, I did that uh, uh, for uh, a while around Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, these were mostly riding toys and things like that. I always, always liked to do things with my, my hands, uh, carpentry and, and so on. Um, and so it's uh, varied things, mowed lawns and, and so on. But I always had a job. So basically, now because you loved to work or you liked the end result, which would be uh, money, basically. Or a combination thereof. I just enjoyed working. Did you? Yeah. Now, was that typical of the kids in your family, or more specific to you? It was. It was my uh, passion mm-hmm. uh, to do that. Um, <clears throat> found a riding academy nearby, and and uh, and I I always liked horses. Mm-hmm. Um, um, worked for uh, a. I worked at the riding academy for quite a while, would ride. The people would pay me in the winter time to exercise their, their horses. I didn't own a horse. Uh, so um, uh, the poor horses at the time were confined to the stall and things like that because this is up in northeast Pennsylvania and the winters were not too, too kindly. Um, uh, but I'd, I'd go out and say, sure, I'll exercise your horse. Um, Five bucks, and uh, and and go riding. I I wouldn't wear, use a saddle. It was too cold. Really? Yeah. Just just hop up on the on the back of that thing and and take off through the fields uh, down the down the back roads and things like this. Now, did you use a, a halter or a bridle? A bridle. Yeah. I'd put a bridle on it and uh, and would just ride bareback. Now, and I I loved horses as a kid. I. We had a pony for a short while when I was a kid. Not a good experience. It was a very agitated pony, so he didn't like being ridden. He'd bite you and all kinds of things. But was it difficult for the horses themselves, who were used to being ridden with a saddle, to allow you to ride bareback initially? Didn't seem to be a problem. Occasionally they buck when I'd swing <laughs> myself up. <laughs> because I just, uh, you know, grab on the mane and just... Uh, uh, swing up onto their back, and and we take off. Yeah, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of old 1930s cowboy movies, and it's always amazed me how 
good those actors rode horses. And many of them could ride bareback. Many of them could do tricks. They weren't really necessarily known for tricks. They just could do them. Was it something that someone taught you how to ride, or you just kind of picked it up little bit by little bit? I just picked it up myself, yeah. little, little by little. And, uh, um, uh, and I'd watch people. And so kind of like most things I do. Now, did you have, a, of those horses, when you used to uh, exercise them, did you have a favorite? Yes, Gypsy. Gypsy? <laughs> now, what type of horse was Gypsy? Oh, Gypsy was just a, uh, uh, a, a saddle, saddle horse and uh, no, no specific uh, uh, kind. And um, uh, she, she was just a, a, a nice horse. She, mm -hmm. She'd do what I told her to do, and that was good. <laughs> now, what color was she? Uh, she, she was um, uh, a bay. Mm -hmm. She was a bay horse. Yeah. So. So how cool is that, though? It's, it was really cool. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I would, uh, it was about three, uh, uh, two or three miles away, the riding academy, and uh, I just, I found a shortcut. I cut through the woods and. And uh, I could get there in, oh, 30 minutes by walking. And uh, so, so that's what I did. Um, now, did you think at the time how cool it was or it was just something you did? It was cool. It was? Yeah. And I'd, I'd take people out on trail rides and, and so on. They'd get a, a group of people and, and so on. Take them out on trail rides. Now, did you dress in Western attire with cowboy boots and everything? or? Um, I wore jeans. And I had something that I went to a shoemaker and had him put some heels on it that looked kind of like cowboy heels, uh, but uh, uh, but but no no uh, no specific uh, 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 dress. I just get so that I was warm or comfortable and yeah. and just go. Now I and I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing the high heel on a cowboy boot is not to look cool, is to keep the foot from sliding through the stirrup, isn't it? Well, that's part of it, but mostly it was uh, <clears throat> for the, the cowboys, I, I understand. Uh, when they would bulldog a, a, a steer down oh, uh, so they could put their heels in. Ah, okay. Yeah. Thus, some of the cow, because you look at in, in these old movies, and some of the heels are like, three three and a half inches tall yeah. they're almost walking on tiptoes and they're sloped in the back and and so that you can dig them in ah okay because so. all my cowboy boots are like a two inch maybe a two inch and a half maybe and i had yeah. one pair that was really tall and i i just couldn't get used to them yeah i'm not used to walking in high heels gotcha so well that's the thing about re reality taping is the <laughs> The horns and the trucks and the, the airplanes that go over and the birds. The was the riding the horses your favorite job as a as a youth? Uh, well, no. The one that I really liked uh, most, uh, I got a job um, uh, working for a veterinarian, and uh, and I I would work for him. I go out on farm calls uh, with him. I ended up. Um, uh, uh, holding an animal or something, and these are large animals, um, uh, cows, horses, things like this, um, 
um, calves, uh, some sheep, and, and so on. Now, for most of that, would it be inoculations, or would it be setting a bone if they broke something, or birthing maybe, or...? Um, no, most of those would be, uh, um, <clears throat> some problem somebody's having with a, with a horse or a cow, um, it was a, a downer cow or something that had milk fever or, or, uh, uh, some, uh, or something, uh, something similar to that, and, uh, or a horse that needed, uh, castration, in which case I was a twitch man. <laughs> I'm almost afraid to ask what a twitch man is. <laughs> That's the guy that gets in the front of the horse and uh, uh, pinches his lip and then puts a, 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 uh, a little rope that's uh, a loop uh, of a rope around his lip and just just twists a little bit. It, it's it just, to, just to let him know that that you're there so he needs to hold still i got you and and so distract him sort of it's it's really a distracting uh, uh, type of a device so the next time i see you walking toward me with a piece of rope look out yeah <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you got to high school were you still doing the veterinarian oh yeah yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was doing that, and actually, uh, when I got to college, um, I decided at that time uh, that that's what I wanted to do was become a veterinarian, and I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. I didn't realize that. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I went to um, a local college. I I commuted. I lived at home and and commuted. And this is up in northeast Pennsylvania at uh, Wilkes College, and. And uh, in Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And um, uh, and and I became a bio major there, uh, and the and and then from there I went to the University of Pennsylvania Veterinary School. Now, so how long were you a veterinarian? <sighs> well, I still am. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. But I meant practicing one. I never practiced. Oh, you didn't. No. I, um, uh, actually, I worked at a busy Philadelphia practice for a couple of years while a student at, at, at Penn. And, um, um, and then, um, um, subsequent to that, well, uh, let's see, sophomore year, I got married. Uh, my, my bride, uh, of 55 years, by wow. the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Um. Uh, uh, Marilyn and I, uh, uh, Marilyn from Maryland, right? <laughs> you can remember that. Um, uh, we're married, and and in my junior year, the end of my junior year, we had a we had our first child, who's a dentist in town, Bill Hall. Yeah. So uh, we had our our first child, and um, I I said, gee. Uh, how are we going to pay for school now? Um, uh, and and Marilyn said to me, she says, I don't know about you. I don't know how we're going to pay for school, but my place is to be home with this baby. And uh, <clears throat> the dean called me, and he said, Bill, there's a position uh, in the Army commissioning program, early commissioning program, 
and if you want it, you can have it. You will owe three years in the, in the, in the Army. This is during the Vietnam mm -hmm. era. You'll owe three years in the Army instead of the usual two that, that you, you did. However, as a, a student uh, for your final year, you'll be paid as a second lieutenant. I said, um, I'll be over to sign the papers <laughs> right now. And uh, so this is, this is perfect. It just, it just worked out perfectly. Now, so, did you have to do boot camp and everything, just like everyone does? Uh, after, after a while, but it wasn't really boot camp. I had to, let's see, I, I went out to, I had to go to Chicago. Um, most veterinarians in the Army are in food inspection. They are? Yeah. Um, now, there are a few that, are, that run clinics. In fact, many of them would run a, a, a veterinary clinic. And... Um, uh, so here I am, a veterinarian. I I decided that I didn't want to to inspect food. I'm I'm a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. I want to do something that as as a veterinarian. And so I I made an appointment with the general of the corps, veterinary corps, um, and went down to see him. And I, I said I'd like a research position if you have one. And uh, so, where did they assign me? Dietrich. What did they assign me to do? Become a pathologist. And so, uh, that's how I spent the rest of my life as a, as a pathologist. Um, I, I, between active duty in the Army, uh, which was, um, I stayed in 15 years active duty. You did? Yes. Went to Vietnam for for one of those years. Uh, actually, one of the most rewarding assignments I I had. Uh, the was, year in Vietnam was was the year in Vietnam. Although I had two kids at home, right? Um, uh, that that was the, the tough part. But reflecting back on it, it was it was a very rewarding um, uh, thing to do. We had a uh, there was a, a lot of rabies uh, in there and I so I ran a lab up in Da Nang a rabies diagnostic laboratory um, and um, uh, and then um, um, <clears throat> where 25% uh, of the animals that I looked at were rabid really that many that many and uh, the worst one that I ever saw and you, you diagnose rabies using uh, uh, an immunofluorescence technique so you turn the lights out in the room um, and turn the uh, fluorescent microscope on and you put the slide that has uh, pieces of uh, uh, brain tissue on there uh, under the microscope and and if it's positive it it gives off a, a fluorescence well the dog that bit me uh, was probably the most rabid one that I had ever seen to date. And, um, and you discovered this, <clears throat> excuse me, after he bit you. Yes. Yeah, I was diagnosing uh, the case at the time because he, I put him, uh, he bit me. I put him, I held him overnight, and in the morning he was dead. So, so it was um, uh, just a matter of, of, of dealing with, uh, with that. But it was actually, um, there are a lot of funny stories 
um, around this thing, and and um, uh, <clears throat> but I won't go into them now. <laughs> well, when when you've been bitten by a rabbit animal, and I've I've known two or three people who have, and they go through a process of I guess shots and whatever. But what was the protocol then? What did you have to do? Um, I I uh, had got some hyperimmune serum. Horse. It was horse serum at the time. And um, uh, and then what one does is is uh, uh, then I would uh, inocum- uh, I would give myself a vaccine injection every day for uh, 21 days. So. And that that takes care of it normally. Um, yeah. I mean, Normal. you're still sitting across from me, I so am. I'm assuming it did work. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't bite anybody. You did. <laughs> At least none that you would admit to, anyway. <laughs> so, in a case of rabies like that, where you are bitten by an animal who's rabid, is there a time period where you need to start the, 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 the process of... of uh, Immediately. As soon as you can. Yeah. So if you don't, how long can you go b- before starting the treatment where it's successful or potentially successful? I don't know the answer to that. But you need to be treated as soon as possible. And what they do is take the horse serum, uh, the hyperimmune serum, you know, anti-rabies uh, serum, and, and put it beneath the bite site and also uh, load you up so you get circulating antibodies. Um, for it and and uh, uh, and then with the immunizations that you're doing to yourself you're building immunity okay um, uh, over that period of time so that you can uh, fight the fight the virus um, uh, the virus uh, bad sites to be bitten are on the face because uh, the uh, uh, the nerves are shorter getting to the brain okay and also your hand, because you have big nerves that go all the way from your your hands uh, up up in, into the um, to the spinal cord and then up to the brain. So uh, uh, so it's um, so the spread is usually reasonably rapid. Uh, we're talking a couple of weeks uh, without treatment, and actually um, there was a woman that I uh, that. Um, that was bitten, a Vietnamese woman that was bitten, and uh, and she she got rabies, and, and it was a matter of treating her. It was unsuccessful, uh, but uh, she was in the hospital in, in Saigon, uh, Ho Chi Minh City now, mm-hmm. uh, but she was in the hospital in Saigon, and they were trying to treat that, and we made the positive diagnosis on her um, by doing corneal impression smears. That virus will spread to a lot of cells in the body, not just, not just nerve cells, um, but it, it, it spreads around one of the places is uh, the eye, and, um, and so you take cells from the, the cornea, the, you know, the front of your eye, and, um, uh, and then uh, stain them uh, for the virus using immunofluorescent techniques. Now, is it dangerous to take cultures from someone or an animal who has rabies? Or is it only the bite that can cause problems? 
uh, in other words, like if you're if you go to the hospital to to take the cultures for this woman who had rabies, is there any way you can catch rabies from her just by handling the oh yeah, there is I mean you have to you have to take care the the problem is um, that uh, uh, it it uh, the the virus can get in in the blood, okay, and if it if you, but you can't get it by eating um, uh, the uh, the virus itself or swallowing the the virus. It I think the stomach acid uh, um, uh, kills the okay. the in, in infectivity of it, and uh, so so you can't get it that way. And if, in fact, when Pasteur in the 1800s, first came out with his, his rabies thing and said rabies is a, is a thing, uh, is due to an infectious particle. Didn't even know about viruses back then. Um, and, and, um, uh, and he says, and I can prove it. Some guy took the cultures that he had of it, and they were in, in spinal cord suspensions of a rabbit, I believe, and drank it. Well, and he said there. That proves that pasture is wrong. Well, it didn't. Um, uh, so, so you need to uh, be concerned about um, uh, the uh, puncturing the skin because then it gets in, into nerve endings mm -hmm. and so on and travel up the nerve and in, into the brain. And in fact, if you know the nerve, if you cut the nerve, It'll stop at, at the at the cut. The virus traveling up the up. It up won't the, go to surrounding tissues. It'll, it'll, uh, it it will. Yeah, uh, but it, it lessens it will, the chance. But it on the main nerve uh, right. uh, traveling up to the spinal cord. Um, uh, it that's that's the, that's the way it moves. Now, it, when you were in Vietnam and doing this, what type of animal was were dogs the most? Dogs. It was mostly the dogs. Yeah, and it, there were a lot of feral dogs, and it was just uh, by feral dogs. After that occurred, um, I was I was quite angry uh, about it uh, because I was going through this uh, inconvenience and, at the time, and um, and so I went to the surgeon uh, up there in Da Nang, uh, the guy in charge of all the medical. Um, uh, treatment uh, facilities up there and I walked into his office I said um, here's my problem and here's my concern you got guys up on top of these mountains on on places called fire bases um, and for a fire base they'd taken uh, level the top of a of a mountain and and uh, with choppers uh, uh, take artillery up there um, and then they they'd they chopper uh, uh, crews up there to to man the, the artillery, and um, I, I and the the thing was people the the guys who went to Vietnam. They left their family. Mm -hmm. They're in a place. They have a um, uh, uh, an M16 uh, uh, slung over their shoulder, um, and and things like this, and they're lonesome. What do they see? They see these dogs, and they're cute little things. And um, uh, so they said, ha, huh, okay, I've, I got a buddy now. And they would pick these, these feral dogs up and take them up to the fire bases. 
Well, I mentioned to the uh, to the surgeon um, uh, that uh, one of these days, one of those dogs is going to show up there rabid, and you're going to have an entire mission uh, uh, eliminated. And so, so um, uh, about a month later, um, and he said, what do you propose we do? I said, well, let's just set up a clinic in each of the places and, and go vaccinate the dogs. And so I'd get on a chopper and, and, and uh, uh, with a bunch of vaccine and, and so on. They'd set, up a, uh, they'd set up a meeting place uh, for people to bring all their, their pets. And uh, I'd, I'd vaccinate them. And, and so, um, so that's what we did. But about a month later, an entire fire base had to be evacuated because of a rabies outbreak. Really? Yeah. So, so it was a, um, a very interesting time and a very, actually, for me, a very rewarding assignment because I was doing something that was needed. Right. Now, I would imagine helicopters coptering in some of those were hot zones weren't they yes so was it ever a little scary going in or coming out or being no, there they'd be hot at night so you'd go in in the morning come back in the afternoon or uh, yeah I'd, I'd i'd just go up for a uh, hour oh, an okay. hour or so and um and that was all now how long of a flight was it from your base to a lot of these places 30 minutes it wasn't that long no I mean, I guess in a, cause those were Hueys, I would imagine. They were Hueys, yeah. And I'm trying to remember how quick a, a Huey can travel, but so they were probably, what, 40, 50 miles out, maybe 75 miles out? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and actually not that far. Really? Yeah, sometimes 20 miles. <coughs> Gosh. So, yeah, it was interesting. I never would have, and I would think most people would never think about something like rabies in a war zone i know most people didn't think of it yeah but so. i mean even today people you know we read the history books right rabies is never mentioned i mean in the civil war syphilis is mentioned and in the revolutionary war but more the civil war nashville was a a, a hotbed for uh syphilis treatment i saw that on some youtube i watched but I, I would never have thought of rabies as being a problem. Yeah, it was. Now, how did the dogs, was it through bats, or how did they get rabies? Well, all the cases that we saw, all of them, uh, were uh, in dogs, in feral, uh, feral animals, just wild, just sure. wild dogs. Uh, and they'd, they'd run in, in packs, and, and uh, actually, I recall seeing the dog that bit me in the clinic previously where some guy uh, uh, brought it in to get vaccinated and and because uh, I encouraged them if you got a pet get him in so we can so we can vaccinate him so I had a little clinic uh, just for for doing that when I had some free time and uh, um, so that's uh, that's what we did now in that case Maybe the dog had the onset of rabies before the vaccination. I was treating him for the bite that he had, and that's why that's why the guy brought him in. It 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 was bitten on the head. I gotcha. And um, so it wasn't, uh, but a week or two yeah. uh, afterwards that that he came in and and 
died of the disease. Yeah, so you didn't, you weren't able to vaccinate him in time, basically. Right. Yeah. Gosh, now, how did that turn into working at Fort Detrick and then subsequent positions? Well, I was at Fort Detrick before I went to Vietnam. Oh, you were? Okay. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, and so I, I um, uh, was brought in as uh, to to do pathology uh, on various infectious diseases. Um, and what did I work on? I worked on uh, tularemia, I worked on Rift Valley fever, um, I worked on um, uh, the uh, encephalitides, uh, uh, eastern, uh, western, uh, Venezuelan equine encephalitis, um, uh, and, and things, uh, things uh, like this. Um, and um, uh, as as a as a pathologist, uh, and my gosh, I was like a kid in a candy shop. <laughs> it was it was just it was just so much uh, so much fun uh, uh, working with these infectious agents, um, uh, and 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 understanding the mechanism of, of disease pathogenesis and. Um, and trying to come up with um, um, uh, therapies and and uh, uh, diagnostic assays and 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 so on. Wasn't it scary working with all those viruses or diseases? You took precautions. It's just like this COVID thing. Yeah. You you uh, and realize where you are. Realize your presence at all times. And uh, where you are, we're we're six feet apart, and we got a nice little breeze blowing mm -hmm. through here. So I ain't worried about you, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> and I did and, shower this morning. Okay. This <laughs> is, um, uh, and I noticed the wind's not blowing toward me, which is good. <laughs> now, when you were doing that at Fort Detrick, did you ever work with Rocky Mountain spotted fever? Oh, sure. I did a lot of work on it did actually. You? Yeah. Because that was a big fear of my mom's. I grew up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Sure. And we had mosquitoes, and we also had ticks. I don't ever remember. Well, the big thing was Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Yeah. From ticks, it wasn't it wasn't you know what everyone worries about now. Was that be, is that because it was eradicated somewhat? Oh, I think it's still around. Yeah. Uh, but the good thing about Rocky Mountain spotted fever is that it's a a bacterium. And you can, and there are antibiotics that, that are curative, okay, okay, or therapeutic. Uh, the problem with COVID, there's no vaccine, right. and there's, uh, uh, and you can't, uh, there's, there's no current therapy uh, for it. Now you're retired, correct? Yes. If you were still working, would you be working on the coronavirus? Uh, or is that probably not? Uh, what I what I did after I became a pathologist, I left the I left the army after 15 years, um, and then stayed in reserves, giving me a total of about 34 years um, um, uh, continuous um, uh, service. Uh, uh, but I went to work um, at uh, some biotech companies, um, and this is to develop. Uh, uh, Drugs and mostly I worked on the things that I worked on were monoclonal antibodies, and uh, these were are uh, uh, like magic bullets that target f 
for example, uh, one of the proteins that on the COVID virus, um, uh, there are some monoclonal antibodies that will will attack that and and uh, prevent uh, or or reduce the possibility of infection um, uh, with it. Um, and I don't know what the current status of, of that is, but uh, uh, monoclonal antibodies. Oh my gosh, we set up assays for it and I consulted for so many biotech companies worldwide. Um, I was down in, um, uh, let's see, over in Europe a, a, a lot, um, in, um, uh, in England, um, up in Harrogate actually, and um, uh, over in Japan and, uh, uh, and other places I, I consulted for uh, some Israeli companies and, and uh, numerous other biotech companies, both in the United States, uh, such as Genentech, Amgen, um, uh, Biogen, uh, and places, uh, places like this, um, dealing with these, uh, these monoclonal antibodies. And you say, well, what does a veterinary pathologist have to do with this stuff? Yeah. Well, you have all the preclinical assays that have to go into the development of any therapeutic. And uh, this means um, uh, uh, running these through uh, laboratory animals to prove uh, safety, number one, and efficacy, uh, number two. And so, so these are all things that, that need to go through with the development of, uh, um, of uh, a biological uh, product. So, so I ended up um, uh, working uh, uh, at a, uh, down in Bethesda to begin with and then came to a, a pathology company in, in Frederick and, uh, uh, called Pathology Associates. Actually started by one of my residents, my pathology residents, and um, um, and then uh, taken over by a big uh, a, a big company, and then subsequent to that, I I held up, put up my own shingle, and and uh, as a as a pathology consultant, and ended up taking uh, oh about a dozen clients uh, to the FDA. With their with their product uh, uh, to to uh, d- defend the data um, and and so on. So, were you the person then that you understood what their what they had done? Are you the person then who has to? And I don't want to really use the term "dumb it down" for the people at FDA, but you had to make it communicate it so they understood it is that well, what you did sometimes no no it's making sure that you've done the right things and and uh, you don't need to dumb it down for the FDA in fact you need to smarten it up for oh, the was that FDA. right really? they in the biotechnology field uh, they have some very uh, bright uh, cookies uh, uh, down there, and and it's it's a matter of understanding immunology, uh, uh, pathology, um, uh, mechanisms of general mechanisms of of, uh, of disease, um, and a whole variety of things. And it was it was just a uh, as a consultant 
to me it was a fascinating it was a fascinating job and uh, I I, uh, um, I it was actually a dream job uh, uh, where I never had to go to work a day in my life uh, <laughs> uh, simply because I was going to have fun and it was it was kind of that um, uh, that kind of a of a of an atmosphere um, and the uh, but it was it was um, uh, quite rewarding I, I ended up uh, interacting with a lot of smart people now do you stay in contact with any of them yes do you yeah many of them in fact one <coughs> there's uh, one person that I work for uh, from a, a spin-off from Johnson and Johnson uh, uh, called Janssen, Janssen, I guess, uh, pharmaceutical company who specialized in monoclonal antibodies. And he's on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, and and uh, we're always uh, uh, communicating, and so on. So, was the decision to retire a difficult one for you? Uh, it was, but I had an injury. Uh, at the time, and I had trouble sitting at a microscope. Was that the time from down south where the? Uh, yeah, I got hit by a car. And, yeah, and uh, a little more than hit, the lady ran over you, if I recall. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. And then backed up and did it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, she fortunately she turned right instead of left. Had she turned, uh, had she turned left, uh, I wouldn't be here talking to you. Now, see, no. I didn't realize you were still working at that point. I thought you had retired prior to that. So that no. was really the, how the decision was made. That was, um, yeah, I ended up uh, in the hospital uh, uh, down there in Brunswick, Georgia, and there happened to be a visiting neurosurgeon. He says, I can fix you up. And I said, I need another, uh, another opinion. And he said, okay, here are the rules. You can't. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to hire your own air ambulance or ambulance wherever you want to go. And if they tell you this, this, and this, don't hire them because they're incompetent. And um, and I says, when can you do this? <laughs> now, was it a surgical procedure that yeah, you did? Yeah, yeah. He ended up doing a laminectomy. I, he, he, uh, uh, I had <clears throat> three burst fractures of, of, of three lumbar vertebra. And... Uh, so he had to put those together. It's so they had been broken, obviously. Uh, yeah. Or crushed. Uh, yeah. I mean, was that a difficult operation? Uh, it's. I don't know. I never asked him, uh, but I I know that uh, within about two days I was up walking, so this was good. Wow. Now, how soon after the accident was the surgery done? I was on a medication uh, <clears throat> that I had to come down 10 half-lives on uh, before they could do the surgery. Um, it was uh, a Xeralto, and I was on that <clears throat> because of uh, 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 I would go into atrial fibrillation um, on occasion. and. Um, uh, and and that, that was what that was for. And fortunately, I didn't bleed uh, during the, you know, during the accident. So, so this is good. Um, uh, but uh, at any rate, 
Well, we were, those of us, because that was during the Frederick Coffee Company open mic series. Yes. And those of us, when you came back and told us you had been in an accident, were amazed at how mobile you were and I how quickly you recovered. I had a good surgeon. Yeah. And I he said, what I want you to do is go home. Uh, and, and because there was a... Uh, people wanted to put me in uh, some rehab facility and he said no my patients go home and he said I want you to walk get out and walk every day so I do it um, and and uh, I'd go out and it was the area in St. Simon's Island was flat mm -hmm. and um, so I'd I'd walk um, started off with a quarter mile and a half mile and then a few miles and uh, just uh, kept kept going with it, and and it it worked out fine. Was it difficult and painful in the beginning to walk? A little bit. Yeah, stiff yeah. maybe too. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but that's that's okay. But you know, I was in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. I always worked out. I was at the gym uh, uh, at least twice a week, and. Uh, uh, and then I'd, I'd ride a bike or, or walk. My wife took my bike away. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> so, but walking is fine. Now, I do remember we had a, a good conversation one time, and it was a fairly emotional conversation. Um, but you were a big sailing person. Oh, my gosh, yes. From what age? How did you get started in sailing? It's something I knew I wanted to do. It was just, there was something about it. it like, um, the thing about being a pathologist is that you gotta figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're looking to see um, the mechanism of, of what is happening in the tissues so that you can, so that you can anticipate how, how to treat live, um, uh, the live species of whatever you're working on. Um, uh, and in, in that case, it would have been humans. Um, uh, and so I like to figure things out. And I figured out one thing, that sailing is wrong. It's, it's never right. And, um, uh, and I had, had uh, uh, st was stationed immediate, uh, first time in Chicago, right across from the Chicago Yacht Club. I said, okay, here's my chance. <laughs> And so I went down and, and talked my way on and as crew in a couple of those boats. And uh, I found out, um, uh, number one, that um, I really like to sail, but I really like to race. And, um, uh, and uh, any time I was in a sailboat, and to this day, I'm racing whatever's nearest me. Uh, whether uh, they know it or not. Whether they know it or not <laughs> is right, and um, uh, and 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 so so um, uh, I I knew uh, that that's um, what I would like to do. And the second thing is, I found out that sailing is is always wrong. And now, what do you mean by that? I'm going to explain. Okay. The the reason it's wrong is that. When you're going a certain speed, you go. You want to go faster, so you trim the sails, or change change your direction of sail a little bit. Um, uh, either one will do the same thing. 
and um, uh, and then once you once you do that, once you've trimmed your sails, you're going faster, right? You've just changed the the direction of the wind and the wind speed, and therefore you got to do it again. And so it's always wrong. And the guy that wins the races is the one that comes closest to getting it right. <laughs> and so, so it's 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 really uh, figuring just, it out. Uh, just figuring it out. And uh, do I have um, with the wind conditions? Do I have enough draft in the sail? Draft is the belly that's mm -hmm. that's um, uh, in the in the in the sail. Um, uh, and and so on. So I ended up being a dyed-in-wool racer, um, and I recall going. Uh, and these were this was mostly in small boats. I had a large boat, a couple large boats. Um, uh, the last one I had was a 41-foot. That's hunter. pretty big. And and I I loved it. We sailed all the way around the um, the, the Delmarva Peninsula one time. Sailed everywhere on the on the Chesapeake Bay um, uh, with that boat just put the put the anchor out and stay the night and 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 so on uh, but but it was it was just it, it was just such a kick but but the thing I liked to sail were the small boats um, sunfish yes lasers yeah um, uh, a laser is was the hardest boat to sail that I've ever that I've ever sailed really because it's so <coughs> sleek uh, 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 no it's uh, there's it has a bendy mast oh, okay so so the rig yeah um, is flexible uh, and what you rely on is depending on the wind speed is really bending that thing flattening the sail and if the winds are really up, you want that sail as flat as it can go because you don't want too much wind. Mm -hmm. um, Didn't the lasers tip over fairly easily? They do. Yeah, because they're fairly narrow. Beam, uh, they're narrow and and they have a round, round bottom. A round bottom. The sunfish is much more forgiving, um, uh, but I but I've raced them, uh, them as well. And actually, that's one of the most fun boats that you can uh, that you can sail in. We went down to. Uh, I, I, I said to Marilyn, I said, I said, Marilyn, I call her Mimi. I said, Mimi, I have to, uh, we got to get out of here. Uh, I was up to my ears in work and I, I just, we just needed a break. Went down to Jamaica. She made all the reservations. She says, okay, I'll take care of it. She did. We get down there and, um, and, and, and so it was one of, one of these all-inclusive resorts, okay? In the morning, I'd take windsurfing lessons. Found out I really wasn't too good at it. In fact, I was terrible at winds, windsurfing. I, I never was able to surf and so on. Not unlike you, my friend. <laughs> I had difficulty with windsurfing, though, I must admit. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'd take windsurfing lessons, and, and then uh, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, go to the gym and work out for uh, uh, for an hour, and then in the afternoons I play tennis and 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 so on, and, and do things like this. One day, the guy teaching me windsurfing began to, began to laugh at me. I says, "Are you laughing at me, man?" <laughs> and he says, "Yeah, man, I'm laughing at you." 
<laughs> and so I says, get your butt in a sunfish. He says, you want to race me, man? I says, yep. He says, hey, okay, man. You see that white boy way out there? I said, yep. And he says, okay, we go around that boy and we come back to the beach. And I said, no, nah, that's not good. I said, we go around that buoy, over, around the reef, and then back to the beach. That gives us all angles right. of sail. And uh, he says, okay, man. And he says, you go first. I said, no, 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 we start together. Well, we got out to that first, that white buoy out there, and um, uh, I left the sails and waited for him. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, uh, 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 we, we finished the thing, uh, the race, and uh, I, I beat him in. The, the head guy came running up. He says, I, he says how long did it take you to recuperate, man? I says, um, uh, one pina colada, and I'll be ready to go. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we took off. So um, uh, we took off again. Same result. Uh, and I took all five of the guys on, one after the other, uh, that were at, at, at the beach. And uh, at the, on the last day, they said to them, um, uh, let's, we got, I, I said, I have to go down to the beach to say so long to these guys. And, um, and they said, uh, you gotta take our picture. You gotta take our picture with, with you, man. We gotta have this, and we want it in our in our shed for inspiration. <laughs> and uh, Marilyn says uh, says to them, um, uh, "Do you know how old man is?" And they said, "No, how old are you, man?" I said, "I'm 60." And they said, "Ah." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you ever own a sunfish? Yeah, yeah. I, I I owned one, and uh, I owned a couple lasers. How about a Force 5? Did you ever have a Force 5? I've I raced them. That was my favorite, personally. A force, I loved a Force 5. It was a knockoff of, of a laser. Um, a little more forgiving, It was though. much more forgiving. It was. It was much wasn't the transom open? I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I... No, it wasn't open. Wasn't? It, was, it was closed, and there was a, a little uh, thing at the bottom where, where the water would drain right. out. It was a little plug you push down and the by the, the current flowing over it uh, pulled the water out I have a Hobie I can't remember the name of it. it's only nine feet long it's very broad a beam um, on my carport it's been there since my son was freshman in college and he's now 34 to give you an idea how long I've owned this thing I purchased it from a fellow in Long Island on eBay my older my younger brother had visited his son who lives in Long Island drove it down to me I was getting ready to take it to St. Augustine, Florida for my son because he took sailing lessons. And I thought it would be great. I said, do you enjoy sailing? Yes. I said, well, happy birthday. I bought you an early birthday present. It's a sailboat. What'd you do that for? I'm not going to sail again. And I was like, I thought you liked it. Well, yeah, it's fun for a while. I've never been able to use it because I don't have a trailer. It's car toppable with the exception of the fact it's you so- You've got to put it up there. You got to put it up there, and it's so broad a beam, it's wider than most cars. And then you'd have this big, and then you'd hit your head on it. But I used to love to sail, so I'm envious of you. I never really raced other than just for fun. Let's see if we can go faster than that boat over there. But racing was always fun. <laughs> <laughs> see, what we did, 
because we had a, a woman, Mrs. Prangley. She was older. She had lots of grandkids. She owned a sunfish for when her grandkids came to visit, which is only out two weeks out of the summer. Good friend of my mom's. She allowed us to use the sunfish whenever we wanted, except for the two weeks the grandkids were there. And it had that little uh, thing with the big balloon wheels that went up through the center yeah, board yeah, yeah, so yeah. you could walk it, because we had to go about a quarter of a mile through the grass and everything to get to the beach. But what we loved doing, because we were like 12, 13, 14, was to go out in the evening when it maybe got overcast and it got a little gusty and get two girls who wanted to go out and, of course, capsize them. Because it was fun. You're right. Help them back in the boat, that kind of That's thing. right. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. Did you ever try the sailfish? The one without the cutout for your feet? Uh, yeah. Those, I would think, would be difficult if you're not really limber. Because of the way you're sitting with your knees up, and it, 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 that's that's right, and and plus uh, <clears throat> they're hard to hold down because there's there's nothing to hook your feet under, uh, uh, yeah. uh, because in your in the, the force five and also in the in in the sunfish and also also the laser, yeah, you have hiking straps. Yep, and uh, we had a 15 foot sloop. Uh, somewhere along the way of boats um, uh, that um, uh, also I, I, I liked very much. And that was a beautifully well-designed, fast little boat. It was 15 feet long, and, and, uh, uh, and I had hiking straps uh, uh, on, that, uh, on that as well. But uh, the interesting thing was, my, that's the boat my wife picked out when I came back from Vietnam. And she said, you have to understand her. She doesn't swim a stroke. And she has this death fear of water. And, uh, and she said, I think this would be a nice boat for the two of us. She's, that, she's a genuine, generous, generous person. I said, honey. If we sail, I promise you, I'll never let us get in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, uh, meaning, tip the boat over so she'd be in the water sure. or, or something like that. And uh, uh, fortunately, um, that was that was true, um, and and we we never had uh, trouble. Um, but but we'd race in that little boat. This is all through grad school. Um, I went back after veterinary school to grad school, and uh, um, the uh, um, uh, so we'd get in that thing and we'd watch the trees driving up to the to the lake, looking for the bends and the yeah, leaves, and the, watching yeah. the, mm -hmm. the and if the trees were boiling, she would say, "I don't want to go out," and I said, "Okay, hun, here's what we'll do: we'll go out and tool around." If you say, I can't do this, we'll come right back in. And um, uh, she's a very competitive, aggressive, uh, aggressive, kind woman. And, uh, uh, and, and she said uh, on, on this one particular day that it was blowing like stink, I had just waxed the surface of the hole. And um, um, so... Um, the, and the boat, that particular boat, and I, if the winds were uh, eight knots and above, 
I, I could plane out. Yeah, in other words, it would pick up uh, <clears throat> uh, off the water and uh, very little, you have very little wetted surface uh, uh, on this boat, just, just, enough, to, uh, just enough to hold, uh, support the boat because of the, the speed was, was raising, it, raising it up. And it would accelerate. We'd end up going 15 knots in a 15-foot boat, which is... Um, it's pretty uh, fast. Which is really fast. Kind of like a Hobie. Yeah. And, uh, um, uh, and, and so, so she said, well, when's, when's the start? Of course, I had it timed uh, with, my, with my stopwatch. Um, and I said, we got 10 seconds. She yells, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and so we hit the line. We hit the line right at the gun. And right at the gun, a gust came. And I have my feet under the hiking straps. I'm holding on to the tiller with my left hand. I'm holding on to the main sheet. That's, that's the mm -hmm. rope that holds the main sail uh, with my right hand. And this thing accelerated and I slipped straight off the back of that boat and into the water. Oh gosh. Released, released the, the main, uh, main sheet to depower the boat. Um, and and was, I said, hold on, hold on. And uh, pulled myself back on, on board, pulled the thing, pulled the sheet in and, and we took off again. She turned around to look at me uh, uh, maybe uh, 30 seconds later and said, huh, gosh. Uh, how come you're all wet? She hadn't seen you go off the back? No, <laughs> she hadn't seen me. I said, I was in the water swimming. <laughs> now, did you ever race prams, dinghies, or um, Hobie cats? Uh, never raced Hobies um, or prams. The dinghy I um, uh, raced was this this little 15-foot uh, uh, boat um, uh, it was called a, uh, a mutineer. It was made by Chrysler. It was such a cheaply made piece of junk, but it was so well designed that if you could, that if you could uh, take care of the weak points on this thing, you really had a fast boat and a, and a, a good boat. Of course, I'm out there adding glass where I needed to and, uh, uh, and, and some Thing, putting some support um, uh, where where it needed to. I I I put a a, a spinnaker tube uh, in that thing, so I just have to pull a line and I could fly that chute. Um, uh, and and it was it was just a, a, a super fun little boat. I think the worst sailboat, small one, that I ever saw was a snark. Uh, yeah. They're a, a dog. They're made out of styrofoam. Right, I remember that. And uh, uh, so uh, they they were not. A, they're not a very nice boat. <laughs> well, let's get back to harmonica. Okay. Because that's the acoustic side of this whole conversation. But this has been fascinating because I love getting to know people. I knew about the sailing. I had no clue. I knew you were some sort of a biochemistry research, but I had no clue. It was rabies and all those things. So that's very interesting. Thank you. So you told me one time how you learned how to play harmonica. How did you do it? Driving to that job in Bethesda, I was getting angry at traffic. 
and I mentioned before that I found a harmonica in my, my friend's guitar case and tried it out. I bought one of my own, and and um, uh, I decided, uh, gee, rather than get angry at traffic, which I was, uh, which I was uh, uh, doing every day, um, and this it wasn't good for me. Uh, it didn't hurt that guy. Um, uh, so I decided to learn to play harmonica. And so I just turned the radio on something and I'd, I'd uh, try and figure out uh, how to play this, uh, this thing and took a course in <coughs> Chicago for about, it was over a weekend. Um, flew out to Chicago for this course and it was fun. Um, uh, I've met a lot of a lot of people out there, and and um, uh, and the reason I went out there was I wanted to see if I what I was doing wrong and what I was doing right, and so on. And I just I just kept going, kept going with it. And now, how long before you started buying additional keyed harmonicas? Because I, I my dad played, he yeah. had a Marine band. We would fool around with it, and then we, I love those little tiny ones. That's what we used to put it in our mouth. Oh and yeah, yeah. Make it look like you had your mouth closed, but you really had to open it a little bit. But I never realized until I started hanging around with people from the uh, open mics who played harmonica that you can't just take one harmonica and use it in every song. It doesn't work. Right. So how long before you started acquiring your little case there? With how many harmonicas do you have in there? I probably have twenty some harmonicas 20 some. in there, but there, I have duplicates of some. Um, I was playing a gig one time, and <coughs> and blew out a, a, a C harmonica. Picked up the other the spare C I had, and and promptly blew that one out as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'm done. <laughs> now it's. I understand that many of the newer harmonicas, especially the lower end ones, their reeds are plastic rather than metal. Is no, that true? It's not the reeds. Reeds are, are brass or stainless. Okay. Uh, or stainless steel. It's the case that's plastic. Is that what it is? Uh, it's the comb. Oh, the comb. The okay. comb is is uh, uh, wood, um, a an epoxy composite, uh, and some of the woods they used. Generally, in the older marine bands, they use uh, um, uh, pear wood, um, uh, but and uh, and because you get a nice tone with it, and the the tone is in the in the comb and also in your embouchure. Mm -hmm. um, you need to open up your mouth when when you play your mouth and your throat, uh, um, and so that you can get a full sound. So. Uh, but when did I pick up others? Gee, I don't know. Probably immediately. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just started doing it. I find find out that I I couldn't do this, and I I end, I started out by playing songs in the key that the harmonica is designated in, um, <clears throat> and I found out that people don't do that. They play in a, a different uh, uh, mode. Uh, it's modal playing, and so. Um, uh, they would play in what they called cross harp um, uh, for ex uh, and this was something that was dis discovered early on in the late 19th century uh, uh, in the late uh, probably the uh, the harmonica 
was a marine band that was was introduced to America, and uh, and so people would order them from Germany, um, and then when they go out of tune, they throw them away, and 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 some the the uh, African Americans picked them up and found out that gee, this thing can play blues, and <clears throat> and it's a natural for blues. But you don't play it in the key that the harmonica's in. You play it in uh, what they call cross harp, which is um, which is um, uh, a fifth um, above uh, the the key of the of the harp. For example, if I have a G harmonica, or um, if the song is in the key of G, I pick up a C harmonica and play it that way. And the reason is is that be is that the way to play a harmonica is you have to get you have to bend notes and uh, uh, let me just uh, sure. let me just show you and you get those bends on holes one two three and four and hole six and uh, and the rest you can't bend, but if but there there that's only on the draw notes, and but when you're doing the blow notes, when you move up to holes uh, seven, eight, nine, and ten, those are the ones where you do blow bends and. And and so you get the blow bends by by uh, changing your embouchure and so on. Well, because of these bends and some uh, uh, an individual by the name of Howard Levy, probably the greatest harmonica player that has ever existed, um, and act actually I take lessons from him. Oh wow! Uh, online. Wow. And uh, just recently sent a video in uh, uh, to him and. Uh, uh, he has an art harmonica school on uh, with artist works and artist works works with um, uh, guitar players, um, jazz guitar, acoustic guitar, um, uh, bluegrass, all these all the instruments. Um, and uh, but Howard Levy's on on there, and and um, so um, uh, <coughs> he came he came along and and said uh, he's. He's an, an exceptional, uh, uh, he was a prodigy uh, on piano. And, uh, and so he found somebody that had a harmonica. At one time, he played 45 different instruments. Wow. Um, uh, and he now concentrates only on the piano. He's a concert pianist. Uh, a piano and the, uh, uh, and the, and the diatonic harmonica wrote a concerto for the Chicago Symphony um, and it's 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 gorgeous hmm. it's it's just a beautiful uh, this is for diatonic harmonica um, and and so so he did that but he's he's playing the piano and he said huh how come down on the low end of this C harmonica uh, the A and the F are not there uh, uh, notes are, are not there he said they have to be there and so he started messing around and found out um, after a little while, uh, several months actually, 
that he could bend those notes and he could get the A and the F. But then he came up and there's still about five notes that are missing on the harmonica. And he said, gee, they have to be there. And so he found, what if I, if I bend, if I'm on the low notes and I draw, I can bend. On the high notes, I wonder if I can blow, I know that I can blow uh, on those, those notes and bend those notes. What if I blow on, on the, uh, these, uh, these lower notes to see uh, what would happen? And, and he found what he termed overblows and overdraws. And what they are are the, are the missing notes. It's a sharp or a flat. Um, um, let me let me see. That that third note that I played there mm-hmm. is uh, uh, is an overblow. And what you end up doing is with your breath uh, with breath control shutting down the blow note uh the blow reed in the harmonica there's two reeds with every hole uh, you end up shutting down the blow reed and the draw reed sounds a half tone above and it's a combination of the two reeds that give you that that uh, note and actually that can be be bent as well And and so you can you can put some texture in those those notes as well. So, very very interesting. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like sailing. You're always figuring it out. <laughs> well, this has been wonderful. Unfortunately, we're running out of time here. The uh, Bill Hall, thank you very much for joining me on this delightful morning at Chabro Stage behind the Frederick Coffee Company for the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm going to ask you to play while I say goodbye to folks. And folks, well, actually, do you have a website or anything? I don't know if you do. No. No? But you can, once once the whole COVID thing opens up and we get vaccines and, and so forth and we're able to go out and do more open mics, things like that, you're probably going to see Bill Hall out and about. He loves to play with just about anybody. I love him to play with me, but I don't play the type of songs that makes it easy for Bill, unfortunately. <laughs> well, we've played together. We have numerous times, yeah. and I always enjoy it. So thank you. But no, go ahead, play, and we'll end the show there. Wispy Bob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is brought to you by Todd C. Walker in Frederick, Maryland, either at the Wispy Mop Acoustic Radio Podcast Series studio or on location like we are today. You've been listening to Bill Hall, and you still are. If you're enjoying the show, you can listen to it on wispymopmusic.podbean.com or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts.